Welcome to Pinnacle. Brought to you by Reach Outcomes. We are rehabilitation and performance experts based in Austin, Texas. We'll be bringing you knowledge and actionable steps from all disciplines of human performance to take you to the next level. Level. Welcome back to The Pinnacle. This is Dr. Jerry Aguilar. I'm a physical therapist with Reach Outcomes. We have Danny and Alexis joining us today as well. But the most important guest right now, we are joined by Polly, who is a human performance specialist and has done extensive work um, with the special operations um, for the states here. Polly, I'm going to let you take it away and introduce yourself because you can do it much better than I can, my man. I appreciate it, Jared. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I've started my career as an astrophysicist so i was uh, worked at nasa looking for planets outside our solar system and then i uh, was a high energy particle physicist looking for the higgs boson at fermilab which is a particle accelerator just outside chicago while i was there i was playing for a professional rugby team and i also boxed uh, for the u.s olympic team uh, at some point i got disillusioned that I wasn't doing enough for the country so I joined uh, the special operations community and I spent 13 years there uh, most of which either assisting or directing all of our human performance research and development so I've been extremely lucky uh, in that I've been exposed to the absolute bleeding edge of what the human body can do in a number of different areas not just strength and speed but also things like resilience and determination and cognition, most importantly. Uh, so I've been extremely fortunate to have amazing mentors and be exposed to incredible individuals to really discover what is the absolute limit of what the human body can do and ways to break that limit. Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that with us, Polly. And just, uh, I, you know, I was introduced to you by, uh, by a few of our uh, colleagues and friends and you know, every time I hear another story about you or something else you've accomplished, I'm like, how, how can one man accomplish all that in one life? So it's, uh, it's a tremendous honor being able to talk to you here and uh, poking your brain for some wisdom. And we'll keep uh, the, uh, the focus on human performance. Specifically, I've, I've been meaning to pick your brain uh, regarding breath and how you use breath with your, your athletes and your guys out there in the field. So first question your way really, really softball question coming your way. How can the way you breathe, you know, something we do every day and we don't even think about it, how can that affect your performance as an athlete? Uh, it's a great place to start because it really is the foundation of everything that the human body does. If you think you can go weeks without sleep, you can go a month without eating, you can go days without water, but you can only go a few minutes without breath. So. Fundamentally, the most important thing your body does is exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide to make energy. And it's the one thing that very few people train, uh, especially athletes. It's been my experience that athletes are good in spite of how they do things. Uh, for the most part, they're compensated through incredible skill or sometimes even just hard work. Um, but because you're doing something improperly, you're putting an obstacle in your own way. So 
breath being the most fundamental thing that the human body does, if you're doing that dysfunctionally, that's an amazing obstacle to put in your own path. And it's remarkable what you can do when you start with the fundamentals. And if you're breathing correctly, it opens up an, a whole new world of capability. A lot of times athletes will think of how do I get an edge? How do I do something that my opponents aren't doing, aren't thinking about? You know, and right now, I think in the athletic community, we all know about how to eat correctly. We all know how to train correctly. If you're getting an edge on your opponent, it's not because you know the secret squat technique that they don't know. But breathing, it fits in that category really well. There are not a lot of athletes that are focused on their breath and doing it correctly. So if you're looking for a way to enhance your performance because it matters to you to just be better, if you're looking for a way to be a better competitor and have an advantage over your opponents, it's also an excellent opportunity. Uh, I think this particular time that we're living in is incredibly important because the world is facing a respiratory illness. And so the one thing that we all can do right now to ensure that we're set up to be as strong as possible to fight a respiratory illness is to have strong respiratory muscles. And I actually have had the opportunity to work in a few emergency rooms over the past couple of weeks. Um, part of my background, uh, I'm trained as a special operations medic, and I'm also a paramedic certified. I've been lucky to be at some of the best hospitals in the world training under some of the best surgeons. And one thing that's going on right now all over the world is people are being put on ventilators because this illness decreases your body's ability to transport oxygen and weakens your respiratory system. And people develop either pneumonias because fluid's building up in their lungs or their lungs aren't able to process enough oxygen. And so they're ending up on breathing machines. As people understand how we fight COVID, really it's just distancing to prevent infection from spreading. And that's not going to stop us all from getting the virus. It's just slowing down the time it's going to take for all of us to get. It. That's important because it keeps the burden on the healthcare system drug out over a long period of time rather than all at once. So if you're looking at a way to not become a further burden on the system, it's to have strong respiratory muscles so that when you do get this infection, which we're all going to get, it has minor consequences and it doesn't result in you needing emergency care and having physicians and healthcare workers treat you. So right now, the number one thing that every human being, whether an athlete or not, can do is working on their breathing muscles. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Polly. Um, so many, so many uh, tangents and other follow-up questions that I have for you after hearing all that. It's, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we're training your breath, your breathing mechanics to make you a better athlete and possibly get, make you 1% better at your sport. Now, with COVID, it seems like this, this tool, this, this aspect of, Hey, we're going to look at your breathing mechanics. It's, it's vital. Now, all of a sudden this is a crucial um, aspect of human performance. And maybe even, you know, we go as far to call it a uh, activity of daily living that you should be able to, that you should be able to improve. Where, where would you start with if, if we're, if we got Joe Schmo who maybe hasn't worked out in a few years is new to fitness is new to health. 
if we, if we sit him down in front of us and we say, Hey, we need you. We're going to train the way you breathe so you can breathe better. So you can, we can fight your chances against COVID. Where would you start with somebody who's maybe not an athlete, but kind of a, your average typical uh, person, American? Uh, it's an excellent question. So I think the most important thing is to understand why are you not breathing correctly to begin with? So respiration is a chemical process. If you were unconscious, you would breathe perfectly because autonomically your body's just balancing acid and base levels in your blood. Breathing is different than respiration. Breathing is psychological. Our brain takes over our musculature and we breathe at a different rate than we're supposed to because of tension, because of stress, because of emotional concerns, because of something weighing on your mind or something physically changing your physiology. So to understand why are you breathing incorrectly is important. One of the first things I look at on someone new is their actual muscle chain. So I have them take a really deep breath and you watch what muscles they use. You're supposed to use your diaphragm. That's how your body is designed. It's a hydraulic system. Your diaphragm moves down. It creates a pressure differential that pulls air into your lungs. But if you watch the typical person breathe, they, tip, they use their upper chest. These are sternocleidomastoid, sometimes even their scalene muscles to pull their rib cage up rather than pull their diaphragm down. This is pretty important because if you're using those muscles, you're using the wrong muscles that evolution developed and they're gonna tire out. So having sore muscles, as, as you know from being a physical therapist, Right, that's going to cause a chain of problems on its own. I'm going to be more irritable. I'm going to be more prone to injury. I'm going to have neck pain and headaches. Things that are maybe unexplained, I can't find the root cause because it's my breathing technique. How I breathe is causing all these pathologies. So the first thing I look at is how, how does someone breathe? The next thing I want to demonstrate, how can you breathe correctly? So how do we get their diaphragm more activated? Um, I like to actually touch and physically move people so they feel what right uh, should feel like in their body. Uh, and then once I do it for them, both by showing on myself and touching their body, make them do it correctly on their own, uh, I like to develop that musculature. One of the best tools out there right now is called the Breather Fit. It's made by PN Medical. Uh, and it's a pressure valve that makes it difficult to breathe in and difficult to breathe out. Why I love it is because you can't use incorrect muscles to do it. Uh, you can crank up the resistance on it to the point where you have to use the proper muscles. And just like progressive overload in the gym, the more resistance I put in that air, the harder my diaphragm muscle has to work. So I'm actually strengthening it, I'm making it stronger. And for people that have developed uh, a dysfunctional breathing technique, it's difficult now. You, you have a weak diaphragm muscle, so it's not easy to activate it. So once we've identified the problem, we need to find a way to strengthen it. And the breather fit is an excellent tool for that. The last thing is to understand that breath is a gear shift. Right? It, it's how you can control your brain. Your body has a number of feedback systems, and they're all intended to help you survive. So when you start breathing a little bit shorter than normal and you start aborting your exhale, if you breathe out less than you should, 
you start to build up carbon dioxide in your body, which causes blood to be more acidic, which causes your brain to go to a panic state. In that panic state, you start releasing endorphins that normally you wouldn't. You stop making certain neurochemicals that allow communication between all components of your brain, especially your prefrontal cortex. You start using your amygdala to make decisions rather than your experience and your rational thought. You start reacting rather than thinking through problems. So if you're breathing incorrectly and you're in this panic state, the opposite can also be true. If I'm feeling tense and nervous and worried and I just changed my breathing pattern, I slow it down and I relax the way that my body is pulling in oxygen and giving out carbon dioxide, that signals my brain to change its approach. I actually start creating different neurochemicals and I'm using more of that prefrontal cortex. I'm using more of that anterior cingulate cortex, the parts of my brain that get to making more rational, logical decisions. So as people are working through their breath, I want them to understand your state is important and it's probably the one thing more than anything else you have control over. And that's another important aspect here in, in, as we deal with COVID. A lot of people are incredibly stressed out either because they're trapped in a situation they have no control of. Potentially there's work issues that uh, their job is no longer what it used to be or no longer exists. They're concerned about relatives or they're concerned about their own safety. That's a lot to heap on a human being. And so if you find yourself stressed and worried and having difficulty sleeping and you're overeating, the breath is the first place I would look to change that. I guarantee people who are stressed are breathing faster than normal. They're changing their oxygen, carbon dioxide exchange. They're changing their acid balance, which is causing a slew of downstream problems. And so understanding why they're feeling a certain way and using their breath to change their state, it's the first step in being a healthier person. And it doesn't cost you any money either. It's something you can do literally anywhere. It's true, and I think for a lot of people, maybe you know, if I if I bought a Peloton and I spent ten thousand yeah. dollars, well, I have to use that, right? I've, I've invested in it. Mm-hmm. When something's free, people don't value it as much. Why should I spend 10 minutes breathing? That's 10 minutes I could be on my ridiculously overpriced Peloton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're exactly right. It's, it's free. It doesn't require any equipment. And it not only changes how you perform athletically, how you feel, how you interact with your loved ones. You know, if you have kids, you're, you're better at raising them because you're more patient. If you're at work, you're more in tune with your coworkers and you can stay more focused and more attentive. It, it improves everything. It's the, the silver bullet. Like there's no, there's no part of your life that's going to get worse because you breathe better. <laughs> and every part of your life will, ha- will experience something uh, in a positive way because you've changed the way you approach respiration. That's awesome. I can't think of... of- something as effective than that for people right now at home stuck at home their whole life is disrupted they have to work from home and manage kids now yeah just focusing on your breath that's so powerful and i think there's probably uh you know there's a misconception a lot of people think well if i'm working on my breathing i have to be cross-legged with incense burning and uh, 
Uh, that's not the case. Uh, it it could be as simple as you wake up in the morning before you get out of bed. The first thing you do is just take a couple of good solid breaths. You know, it was something that I encourage all the military personnel and athletes that I work with. That's part of their routine. When they wake up, the very first thing they do is activate their diaphragm and take 10 solid focused breaths where they're not worried about anything else. And now their approach to the day is different because the first thing they've done is taking care of themselves. I think a lot of us wake up and, oh God, what do I have to do today? Is it still Corona outside, as my daughter says? <laughs> but the, if the first thing you do is balance your state, put yourself in the right mindset, now let me approach the day. It's amazing what change that has over time. Uh, I also have my athletes and military personnel. That's the last thing they do. So as they're lying down to close their eyes and fall asleep, we do five minutes of focused breathing because I want them, you know, you're going to spend seven, eight, 10 hours sleeping. I want you breathing appropriately that entire time. I think for a lot of the country uh, in the military in particular, we have an enormous sleep apnea rate and for a long time, apnea was thought to be structural. You know, if you're too thick through the neck because of overeating, it's compromising your airway. But in the military, that's not an issue. We have some pretty fit gentlemen and ladies who are experiencing sleep apnea. And that's because they go to sleep breathing improperly. So their system is still charged up. They're still revved up. And as they're unconscious, they're still breathing the wrong way. And it's causing them to suffocate and wake up in spurts throughout the night. So first thing you do when you wake up, you focus on your breath. Last thing you do before you go to bed, you focus on your breath. If you do nothing else, that alone will affect your approach to life and your general health. That's so powerful. And yeah, as somebody that, you know, I've been told that I snore um, when I sleep and, and not, I don't think not as far as sleep apnea, but um, it's definitely something I wish to improve. You hear things like, oh, yeah, set your set your pillows higher, sleep on an incline. Um, but then again, it's uh, those are more like bandages. Um, and you should really you know, focus in on on your breath. So if we're just sitting here today recording this podcast, uh, if we have some listeners out there, they're like, OK, yeah, I get it. I need to focus on my breath. What does that mean? What are some uh, cues that that this person can use? Do I need do I need to. Is it something as simple as doing belly breaths, doing the alligator breathing where I try to extend my whole belly? Does that really get the diaphragm targeted? That's an excellent question. And so let's go into some real specifics now. Uh, so first thing I like to talk about is that I said breath is the gear shift for your brain. And, and it's really true. I think a lot of people, when they think about breath work, they only think of one thing. It's either like yoga breathing or pranayama or Winhoff or whatever your style is. And I think what's important to note, you should be going full spectrum. You should be just like you would with uh, any toy you were playing with as a kid or probably some of us as we buy a car and adult, we want to see what this baby can do. <laughs> so uh, what I encourage people to do is as you're working on your breath, go the full gamut. Uh, I start people laying down so I can watch their stomachs rise and fall. Or, and if you're doing it at home, put a hand on your stomach and a hand on your chest, trying to make my stomach move and my chest remain still. A lot of people 
we'll talk about box breathing or numbers. The number really depends on the size of your lungs and how you're feeling, right? So I don't like to give a number, but let's, we'll say five, just so listeners have something to start with. Five seconds in, five seconds out. Those are not hard and fast numbers. You figure out what number makes sense for you. But five seconds in, five seconds out, and then pause. So we'll do five, five, and five. I start people out that way just so it brings their attention to how they're breathing. Once the attention is there, I'll ramp them up. So now let's do a second in and a second out. As you're doing that, you'll find if you're really using your diaphragm, it'll actually cause some pretty interesting gymnastics in your belly. If you're really pushing in and out that hard, your belly should be flopping up and down. And it's an awesome sensation once you get there. But now let's do as long as possible in and as long as possible out and really test the limits of what your capacity is. And when you're doing that, what I like to encourage people, find more than just your lungs. Remember, we're a 360 degree uh, shape. So I can breathe with my back. I can breathe with my pelvis. I can breathe with my upper lats and traps. I can breathe with my uh, lower back. And so as you're breathing in, I have people try and find more space. See if you can tuck pockets of air anywhere it'll go. And the first time they do it, most people can breathe in for like five, six, sometimes even 10 seconds. But after we work for a while, they can get like a 20 second inhale. And I've had one guy go to a minute 30 exhale. That exhale we want as if you're letting air leak out, you're not trying to push it out. So it sounds something like this. You want to have that long inhale. Once you're inhaled, you want to gulp a little bit more. Once you're full to capacity and can no longer get anything else inside, hold it for a second. Find room by making your back extend, by dropping your pelvic floor, maybe even lifting your neck and creating more space that way. And once we have that accomplished, we can hold it, really feel the pressure build, and then very slowly let it leak out. I guarantee if you've gone the gamut of box breathing, one second in and out, long as possible, inhale and exhale, your mind and body will be in an entirely different place than when you started. Because it takes all of your concentration to do that. And so that's five minutes where you're not worried about COVID, you're not worried about your job or your kids yelling. Your brain has gotten a five minute rest that it probably hasn't had in a year. And it is incredible what it does for your ability to feel relaxed and at ease and ready to take on whatever's coming next. Yeah. And after that, and after the, the previous sessions where you've taken me through some, some breathing drills, your, your mind is in a different, totally different spot. Uh, 
I can totally understand what you mean by gear shift and, and the emotional and, and psychological uh, reactions that occur with something doing something as I was going to say simple as changing your breathing, but it's, it's simple, but it's difficult. Is that fair to say? It's, it's, it's a simple, a few simple tweaks, but it, it's hard to get somebody to focus on and, dedic- and dedicate some time to changing that. And for most of us, right, it's 20, 30, 40 years of doing something improperly. You're not going to make that up in a two-minute session. So it really has to be repeated uh, and conditioned. And in my experience with a lot of the athletes I work out, it's about two to three weeks to make an autonomic difference. So you no longer have to think about it to get the same effect. Uh, So for my guys, if they'll do the drills that I give them two to three times a day for three weeks, then their breathing starts to actually shift and they no longer have to think about it to breathe correctly. And I'd like to talk for a couple minutes about some of the advantages that you see once your breathing is is shifted this way. The first thing to talk about is uh, what I call stress tolerance. Uh, There's probably other names for it out there, but it's the difference between your resting heart rate and your max heart rate. If I'm at 60 beats per minute when I'm resting and my max heart rate is, uh, let's say, 200, right? There's 140 beats in there. That's my stress tolerance. That's how much physical or mental or emotional stress my body will handle before I tap out and I'm no longer able to uh, actively handle this situation. Uh, And for a lot of athletes, they work on that max heart rate number can I train so much that my max heart rate or the effort I'm able to expend at max heart rate changes? But I think what few athletes try to work on is that resting heart rate. You know, if you're a cyclist or marathon runner, their resting heart rate will lower just based on their activity, but it's not something they actively train. The easiest way to lower your resting heart rate is through better breathing. Your heart and your lungs are intertwined. And if I'm taking shorter breaths, that's less oxygen I have available, and faster my heart has to beat to pump that oxygen around my body. The more I can slow that entire system down, the more I can drop my resting heart rate. And so if you think we all have a upper limit of how many heartbeats we get in this life, like say yours is a billion, well, you don't want to race to it, right? I don't want, if my rising heart rate's 70, I'm going to get to that max number a lot faster than if my max is 55. And so for general health and wellness, it's incredible to have that. But as an athlete, very few people care about what they're like when they're 70. They want to be better today. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do it. If my resting heart rate is lower, then as I start whatever competition, in my, you know, I was a boxer. For me, it was critical to get my heart rate as low as possible. The higher my heart rate was, the slower my punches became, the less ability I had to think and react in the ring. I was just getting hit and trying to survive it rather than strategizing a plan. So the lower my heart rate started and the lower I could keep it throughout the fight, the better uh, I could perform. I learned two things as a boxer to do this. One the time coming up to the fight where you were anticipating what was going to happen, that's where my heart really started to accelerate. I was worried that people I cared about were going to watch me get beat up. So 
it took me a couple of years to understand if I could calm myself down and focus on my breath and get to that fight with as low a heart rate as possible, I would crush my opponents. But if I was, thought about it and was nervous and my heart rate was sped up, I was exhausted before the fight even started. I think that's true for a lot of athletes. If they're worried about the outcome and their heart is racing before the competition even begins, they're starting out with a detriment. It's like putting an anchor around before they even begin. Second thing as a boxer, right? I had a minute between rounds. And so to get my heart rate back from 200 under, my goal was under 120. And we did this with breathing. As soon as I got to the corner, my coaches wouldn't touch me. I would just envision a clock and I would breathe in every time the minute hand or the second hand ticked. And I would tick it up to five and I would breathe out and tick it backwards. And for me, that imagery of it slowly ticking one way or another and it pacing my breath, I could drop my heart rate by 60 to 80 beats in that minute I had in between. Uh, and I think it really allowed me to be uh, reach the levels uh, I, I reached because I honestly was not that talented. There were guys that were far more talented than I was. I got to some of the elite levels in boxing because I was really good at getting hit and not falling down. And I could control my breath enough that I always had full capability. I was never overtapped or overstressed. So if you want to perform well as an athlete, I think that's critical, changing your resting heart rate. Second thing that's important as an athlete is your sodium bicarb reserves. Sodium bicarb is released from our kidneys to balance out any acid imbalance in our blood. So I'm breathing improperly. That means I constantly have an acid-base imbalance and my body has to work overtime. Even if I'm sitting still, dumping sodium bicarb from the kidneys to try and balance it and keep this, the system's pH in a, in a comfort zone. And if this is the case, if I'm expending all my resources just by sitting there, breathing improperly, when it comes time for me to actually perform and run, I no longer have access to that. I've burnt my reserves. So a lot of people talk about a second wind. Hey, I start working out, I start to fade a little bit, I get my second wind, I'm good to go. That's what that second wind is. It's your kidneys releasing sodium bicarb to buffer the acidity you create from exercise. If you don't have that, and I can tell you CrossFit athletes are notorious for this, just the way that they work, they constantly, uh, it's the breath per rep. They get in this pattern of breathing. I take a breath every time I do a rep. So I breathe, <laughs> you're panting, you're hyperventilating. And so you're dumping all of your sodium bicarb reserves. That's why for not all, there's some studs out there, but for a lot of CrossFit athletes, you ask them to run a mile and they break down completely because they have no sodium bicarb reserve. They have no buffer to get that second wind. So I think that's critically important for anyone uh, in, the, in the sports world. You want as much access to that as possible and you don't want to burn it up by breathing improperly. And then I'd say probably the last thing that not a lot of people think about, uh, but I, I think critically important, your diaphragm is connected to your vagal nerve, it's, it's how it's innervated. Uh, when your brain sends a signal to breathe, it's supposed to go vagal nerve, diaphragm, move up and down. If my diaphragm isn't involved in my breathing cycle, then my vagal nerve begins to atrophy. Right? It doesn't have 
as much signaling connection. It doesn't have uh, as robust a role in how my brain is functioning. That's important because the vagal nerve is responsible for a parasympathetic shift, for a calming down. So as your body is supposed to be recovered, as your brain is supposed to dump anabolic hormones that allow it to recover, it doesn't get to hit that cycle as quickly or as deeply if your parasympathetic drive is not being actioned by your vagus nerve. So for a lot of people in the military community, we throw around the term sympathetically upregulated, meaning they're constantly switched on. They have a difficult time of just relaxing and letting their guard down. And understandably, for their job, it's an important aspect of it. But it's also an important aspect for them to be able to recover from harsh bouts of exercise or harsh bouts of thinking so they can do it again tomorrow. So it's critical for them to be able to shift up and sympathetically upregulate, but when the job is over, immediately downregulate. And if you can think of any athlete, that's their primary mission. Right? You build muscle when you rest, not when you're lifting. So I spend that hour in the gym crushing it, but then I should spend the rest of the day recovering. Right? There's lots of modalities that we can use to recover. We can do it with nutrition, with hot and cold, with massage. There's a whole world out there for recovery and it really takes an expert to be able to navigate you through that world and allow you to find the modalities that are going to work best for you but breathing is the start of that the second i'm done working out i want to down regulate my body and start getting into that parasympathetic zone so i can start recovering so i can go ahead and go hard tomorrow and i do that through breath all right, so if I get guys in the weight room, constantly you see people that are holding their breath as they lift weights. We hold our breath because there's a, a little bit of pain reduction that happens that your body actually reduces or releases endorphins to calm the nerve pathway that's telling you you're in pain. So we grunt or we hold our breath as a blunting mechanism for pain. Much better would be to breathe through that exercise it keeps your body in a better state to accomplish the task. You're actually stronger doing that. So for a lot of our athletes, I'll watch them lift something heavy, especially overhead, and make sure that they're breathing through the exercise. And I want our guys, if you're going about to lift something heavy, I want that gear all the way up. So we will do a little bit of hyperventilation. If you know you're about to do a big lift, get ready, get pumped for it, go lift that weight. But when the lifting session's over, calm the body back down. I think the last thing that people need to think about for breath is what's actually happening with oxygen and carbon dioxide. For a lot of us, if we've done a hard run, whether that's sprints or a long run, maybe we're, you run up a hill in the middle of a, a 5K, Everyone feels, oh, I'm out of breath. I need oxygen. <laughs> There's no receptor in your body that can tell you you need oxygen. Our body doesn't have an oxygen receptor. We only have carbon dioxide receptors. It's in your cerebral spinal fluid. And so when carbon dioxide buildup happens, that's what triggers your intercostal muscles start, start working. You breathe because you have too much carbon dioxide, not because you need oxygen. 
So the next time you're crushing it and you feel like you need a breath, what I do with my athletes, we do what's called a shoe breath. And I learned this from uh, Scott Sonnen. Uh, he was an Olympic wrestler and, and an amazing coach. Scott talks about a shoe breath to dump as much carbon dioxide as possible. So if you're running that 5K and you go up the hill and you feel like you're out of breath, dump your carbon dioxide out and all of a sudden you feel fine. You no longer need to breathe hard and heavy. You don't need those panic breaths that are gonna change your state and change your mindset. Those shoe breaths do wonders for when you feel like I'm gonna die if I don't get oxygen. No, 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 you're gonna die if you don't get rid of carbon dioxide. So use those shoe breaths to dump it out. So that's a whole bunch of information in, in one dump, so. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so <laughs> valuable, oh my God. I think that that's the biggest mindset shift from working with you is, I want to say looking at carbon dioxide as the villain, but it's, you've, you've totally changed my perspective of, yeah, it's CO2 is what I need to get out. It's, I don't need to take in more oxygen. I need to get CO2 out. What, um, what's the, the importance of making the sound, the shoe sound during the exhale? <laughs> so or is it just so sound cool? It's, it sounds cool. All right. It's marketable. Yes. That's what we're getting at. <laughs> I think, uh, Everybody can make that sound and then you do it correctly. So I, I could say you dump as much carbon dioxide as possible and who knows what craziness people will invent. So uh, there's nothing in particular about the sound itself other than it ensures to me as a coach, I'm having you do what I want you to do. Ah, it's a, it's uh, a discipline trick. <laughs> so the, uh, why the shoe? What, what does it make you do? Well, it makes you purse your lips for one thing. Uh, if you know anything about Bernoulli and his law, uh, you can get more velocity by changing the diameter of the pipe. So if I have my mouth wide open, it's hard to, for me to get a lot of air out. Uh, and you'll see it's in yoga. There's a type of yoga breathing where you actually do make that noise. If you open your mouth wide and breathe out, it comes from the back of your throat but it's hard to get a lot of air out that way. If I make the shoe sound, I have to purse my lips. And so from Bernoulli's law, I get to push a lot more air. You'll also find if I breathe from the back of my throat, I'm primarily gonna be using my upper chest, my upper traps as a pusher. It's hard to push from my diaphragm. But with the shoe, uh, much easier to activate the diaphragm and push the air out from the bottom up. Yeah, I can, I'm just doing that right now. I can totally feel the difference. Yeah, it's that's amazing. You know, it's um, again tying this to a rehab setting. You hear a lot of a big complaint in physical therapy and performance is, "Hey, we teach athletes how to run fast, how to get hype for a competition." Rarely, or, or historically, we've, we've done a poor job of getting an athlete, teaching an athlete how to land appropriately how to decelerate. And as we're finding that, it's that skill that is showing the, the biggest uh, reductions in injury um, and, and stress. So it, it, it makes so much sense that as a culture, we haven't been that great at down-regulating people's nervous systems, getting them to switch in the off, getting them to switch off um, and really tap into that recovery. So I think, I think this is incredibly valuable and 
man, thank you so much for, for taking all this time when you have a bunch of other things you could be doing uh, and you're such a busy man. So thank you so much for, for taking the time and educating us on how we can be better at breathing and how important that skill is. Uh, my pleasure. And I would encourage people, this is a, an easy topic, but a difficult one. Like you said, it's, it's the simplest thing to do. And at the same time, maybe it's complex because there's the whole world out there of misinformation or even if it's correct information, like how do I choose what's right for me? And I think that's why it's important to find a mentor. If you have someone, a coach who's really studied this and understand it, uh, anything is always easier if you have a, a good teacher. So uh, there's a lot of people out there to, and I won't recommend one, but search uh, on your own and figure out who is someone that can coach me through some of this so I can learn it and do it correctly. Because if you do anything, no matter how good it is, if it's not done correct, you're not going to see the results. And then now you, you've lost an opportunity. So seek some experts, seek some guidance, uh, play with things on your own. Uh, the Breather Fit is a phenomenal tool because it's, it's marine proof. I've used it with United States <laughs> Marines. And if those crane eaters can do it, then um, <laughs> anybody can. Uh, I tease the phenomenal, phenomenal athletes. And it was remarkable to see the difference. And some of these guys doubled some of their outputs as far as uh, distance run with a ruck and pull-ups and push-ups just by changing their breathing. And they were amazed. Uh, the kind of results you can get from just training your breath for uh, a few short weeks. I, I lied. I have one more question. Uh, if you have time, it's um, regarding the the elevation masks that were huge like five years ago. That is different than the breather fit, correct? You wouldn't would we recommend somebody if they're like, oh, I have one of these elevation masks? Does that 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 doesn't train my muscles in the same way as a breather fit would? Is that correct? That's correct. So what what an elevation mask does, and I I don't encourage a lot of people to use one. Uh, I think it's you have to be a special athlete. What an elevation mask does is it changes the amount of oxygen that you're breathing in. Uh, you're just working with less oxygen. And so it's changing your ability to produce and function off of lactate. A lot of people will hear lactate and think, oh, it's bad. I build up lactic acid and it slows me down. Uh, that's not true. Lactate is your body's backup system. So when you don't have enough oxygen that you can metabolize glucose and create energy that way, you, your body has a secondary system where it produces lactate so you can get some ATP delivered. Uh, and it's, it's a much less by a factor of four less. Um, but from that lactate system, you're able to still push a little bit. People that train with elevation mass are training their lactate system. Uh, to really gain the benefits of elevation, you have to live at elevation. So when people who are up at above 6,000 feet because they're living at a lower oxygen level, they actually produce more red blood cells. They're optimizing an electron transport chain. They're figuring out ways to get as much oxygen as possible into their system. And it takes two to three weeks of living at that altitude. Putting on an elevation mask will not do that. Um, it also is not gonna cause your respiratory muscles to increase because that doesn't change the equation. So all it's doing is limiting the amount of oxygen you're working with and building your lactate system. I don't know of many athletes that benefit from that. Uh, so 
I personally haven't seen anyone uh, successfully demonstrate to me that it's worth the time spent. There's other energy systems you can improve to get a, a better overall uh, fitness goal. Uh, but absolutely, if you want to build your, your respiratory chain, your breathing muscles, uh, something like the breather fit for an insane amount of money, the airflow fit, um, and for a real uh, fortune, there's some called a Spiro Tiger, which uh, I encourage people to look up just to see how cool it looks. Um, but I think you have to take out a mortgage to get one. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll hold off on that. I'm going to stick with the breather fit for now. <laughs> Maybe take out a loan in a couple years. Well, Polly, thank you so much, sir. Uh, again, I've, I have learned so much. Again, I always learn so much from talking to you. And um, thank you again. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, happy to help. And I hope everybody out there is breathing a little bit better. I know I am. This, this the sound effects alone from this episode have been great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I also learned you don't need incense. So you can, you can be great at breathing without uh, a, a Himalayan salt lamp or incense. So, you know, don't, you don't, don't feel like you have to go rush out and buy those products from Amazon. <laughs> I have been in Lotus pose the entire time we've been talking. Just I, I could tell. I could tell by your voice. <laughs> All right, Paula, you have a great day, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Pinnacle by Reach Outcomes. We'd love to partner with you to help you achieve your goals, whether it's in person or virtual. Click our link in the show notes to schedule a time for us to discuss how we can invest in your success. 